The Sports Crib Podcast, episode 357, how to support professional athletes. Hello, Sports Achiever. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to working with elite athletes and understanding athletes' needs during and after career in their professional sport. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Jory Davis, who is a professional basketball player with over 10 years of experience being a pro athlete, but also she is the founder and CEO of Revolve, which is an app and a community that supports athletes during and after their career in professional sport. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Jory as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Jory will share her basketball career journey and explain to you how athletes need support during and after their career as a professional athlete. Have a listen and enjoy. Jury, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Well, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Um, my journey started in New Orleans, Louisiana, down south, for those that that don't know where the best place in America is. Um, and uh, I was about three years old. I don't remember this, but that's what my family says. I consistently said I was going to play basketball, consistently pushed my mom to put me into organized sports. And that's where it started um, outside of a, my swimming lessons. Uh, I never forget the swimming teacher, Miss Frida. I would sneak out and go with her daughter who was playing grassroots basketball. And she was like, Jory's pretty good. And she forced my mom's like, get that girl in the basketball. And it was, it started ever since. So shout out to Miss Frida, my swimming lessons teacher, who who pushed my mom to really get me into basketball. But it started in New Orleans. And from there, uh, played in Texas. We moved to Texas, played there. Um, went up, up to Rochester, New York for high school, Indiana University, drafted. And then 13 years in nine different countries on four continents, um, the game has been a blessing to me, truthfully, um, despite everything I'm, I fight for and to trying to make this the, the game better. Uh, the love for the game, um, it, 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 it gave great returns for me, I'll say. And so um, it took me all around the world. And now it's it's also, you know, giving me the next set of passion and, and things for the next generation I want to be a part of. So. Amazing answer. Let's decode this a little bit, Jory. Just going back to when you started, we're at Texas. When was the moment internally when you went right? I always say that to all athletes, this question, but I'm always curious. When was the decision went right? This is my career path to be a professional basketball player. Can you remember that moment, that sort of switch light bulb where things had to be more professionalized in your approach to the sport from a career standpoint? 
I really think I started to think about it. It was a tournament in college. We were in the Bahamas. It was a preseason tournament. I was playing against a girl named Danielle McCray. Um, I think they, we played Kansas. And I was doing very well. And I was like, man, this girl is going. She's about to be drafted. Like she was, I think, a top first round pick. And then I, you know, went on to play against um, Monica Wright. And I scored 33, 30 points in the second half. And I was like, well, also I'm playing Monica Wright, who was also a top 10 draft pick in the W. And I'm like, I feel like I'm, I, I can do this. And, I, and that was that moment, I think, for me to, when, it, when it really clicked that I'm about to go to another level. Grassroots time for me, I, I didn't start off good. I was terrible. You know, people probably thought, why is this girl thinking she'll play basketball for the rest of her life? Um, because I was not good. So for me, it happened late that I started to really think about professional. I really had just a very authentic love for the game. I loved the game. Um, I was an only child, so I loved the community part of, of, of the game. So it didn't click for me till very late in my career that, oh, I can do this and I can be a pro. Just on that point, I'm an only child, by the way. So I'm just curious of like how you approach your own self to belief, because when you've got peers, I don't know about you, but I love families that have brothers and sisters because I like mingling and getting that vibe. You just said community aspect. Could you go in a bit more detail what you meant there of being in like an only child and an athlete trying to pursue being a professional basketball player? I'm just curious on that point. I mean, when you're the only child, you're you're shooting alone more, and and not to not to say that I was shooting alone all the time. I did have like a, a really close knit family. I grew up on a block in New Orleans where my great grandma, my great aunts, and you know one of my cousins who gave me my first basketball, Jamal Henry. He was the first one to give me a basketball, so I did very much so have a village around me. However, I still was the only child, and I I still had to go outside shooting alone. I still was, you know, again, that um, that creativity, like, you know, the countdowns that everyone talks about, but it's also just that dreamer mentality, that constant visualization. That's something I do naturally, and I still do to this day. Um, I'm a daydreamer, as they call them. So I think as an only child, that kind of amplifies because all you can do is kind of you're with yourself. Um, and I didn't have anyone came, that really came before me that was playing pro-pro, um, I did have an older cousin that was was playing basketball, but um, when you are the only child at self-motivation, you kind of build those skills to constantly keep pushing yourself. And I think that was one of the reasons I was able to stay persistent, despite, you know, my mom was supportive, but it wasn't like she was like, you're going to play basketball. No, I was telling her, I need to go to practice. Like, I need to go do this. And so um, I think that came with being the only child and, and being the one out of also my close cousins that played basketball because some of them didn't. Right. I'm going to dig deep even more now. Looking back, reflecting, would you say that experience improved your self-drive throughout your career? Yes. I mean, being an only child and having to to really self-motivate in, in instances and in some cases, prove yourself that you, this is where you're going. And I don't care what anyone says, or if I can't play uh, right now with my older cousins who were the boys and say, you couldn't play that self-determination, getting up, doing the work, dribbling by myself, shooting by myself. 
uh, was key. But I also can't deny the fact that I grew up with a family that just as much as they'll, you know, come at you and criticize you, they told you it doesn't matter. Go do what you want to do. And I had a, a lot of love and a lot of motivation to say, if that's what you want to do, baby, go do it. <laughs> so um, that also had that element. So I don't think um, without that part, things would turn out the same as well. Did you create your own support system internally? So you people that were influenced in your career journey, they're in your inner circle. The reason why I share this, this is no different to my podcast journey back in 2015 when nobody knew what a podcast was, right? This is at you know, this I'm planning for season nine, nine years doing this. I'm literally modeling what you've said when my reps are the podcasts. And the reason why I'm sharing this, when I started, I'm like, right, I need people around me that are my inner circle who you could call the mentors, people, role models, but I called them my inner circle. It was like a it was like a mental box I use as a tool to like keep being driven and not like deflate. So I can see your body language nodding your head. Did you build that inner circle throughout those early years before the draft to get, you know, so it really built that establishment of you being a professional player? I know this is quite deep, but I'm so grateful for this conversation thus far. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. No, I think I can I can say I built it, of course, um, taken away from you know, uh, the God I believe in and, and feeling very much so that I was blessed with the tools I needed to achieve what I feel my purpose was to get to. Um, but yes, I had a very much so like solid support system. My grassroots organization taught me, uh, persistence. They taught me how to have pride for the game, how to treat the game and respect the game and play it the right way. You know, I had grandparents that invested into the game for me to make sure I had the things I needed despite having a single mother. Um, and then I had a mother that despite her not really, you know, pushing, pushing me to sport, she still supported me. She still showed up every day. She still made sure I got what I needed. And then having cousins that, you know, one of my cousins, Jamal, like I said, he, he ran track and field, but he pushed me. It was constantly, let's go, get better. And we were road dogs, you know, at that young young age. So I had the different pieces around me, yes, that supported me. And then for my coaches, they they didn't let up. Um, and, and I think starting out at the grassroots, I was on the B team for Lady Pride, my first team ever. And technically there was no B team. <laughs> it was there was not supposed to be a B team. It was five of us. But they say, you know what? We're going to invest in them and then we're going to have the B team. They'll play with the A team, of course. And they just really invested that time. I was able to be around the better girls, work out, train, go to the games, be involved. That also was a blessing because maybe I could have gone to another team that wouldn't have invested and taught me the game they did but I was in the right hands. And so I think it's a mix of, you know, a testament to my mother of, of knowing her discernment to put me in the right place, but then also the blessing of, again, starting my journey with the right people around me. No, my family wasn't perfect, but I really know my foundation started much different than a lot of players I've seen. And due to that and the mix of being an only child and learning to go and put the work in yourself, 
that has helped me to create some soft skills that I think um, are key to success. 100%. There's just one thing I want to ask now, just for any young listener who is starting their, you know, athlete career journey in any sport. You said respect the game. Could you just define what you mean with that phrase? I've heard it before in different athletes, but what's your definition of respecting the game so you build that foundation the right way as an athlete? One, respecting the game, especially as a woman, is is one, do 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 our research on where the game has evolved and where we've come from as women from the beginning and what we're able to do, the money we'll be able to make, um, how we're able to express ourselves, like respect the fact that someone before us gave a lot to 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 allow us and afford us the opportunity to do what we do. And so don't come and tarnish that. Um, and so that's one thing, respect the game and how it's evolved and the reason it created, it was started, it was started because it helped people to enjoy, to come together and compete and have fun and, and do play a game that they liked that game, the same way people love chess or something else is something that allows you to come together with other people and have fun and entertain. And so, um, I think respect for the game is to play it the right way. And again, the right way can mean different things. So that can't, that's not very objective, but respect for the game is just to have um, when you come into this business, this profession um, or amateur as well, is to play it to the best of your ability. Um, show respect to those that are playing against you and your teammates um, and really, really, you know, look at the game and learn the game and not just get caught up with all the other things that come with it, the clout and the money and all that stuff. So um, it was very much so we were taught core values of respect. We were taught the core value of um, making sure how to engage with your teammates, how to, you know, be a leader, you know, how to stick together. And so that's when I say respect the game is just the things that come with the game, the values and stuff you can really learn to really stick to that. And I, and that starts also with the coaches and organizations to, to set those values and follow through even when they also get hungry for money. So I think it's, it's not just the athletes, but it's everybody needs to start paying attention to the starting point of where we've come and, and, and get back to that a little bit more, despite the money and everything growing tremendously. Yeah, this is always the balancing act. Like, I, I'm more into like here in the UK with women's football, which is very much the same with that terminology of, you know, respecting the Dicker ladies as an example, who, you know, 50 years ago were dominant in the UK, then football got banned, and then football to where it is now. It's like respecting the past, but also expressing yourself as an athlete to enjoy your career and um when you're talking like that it just related to the experience of the work I'm doing in women's football one last thing you said one phrase you said like get your performance to another level I love hearing a phrase and then like digging deep when you're in that B team and you went right right how do I get to that next level could you explain to listeners again what you mean from a personal standpoint of getting to the level you want to be with the best version of yourself of being an athlete? And then we'll move on. But I just think these are so many terms that I hear, which are amazing. But when we decode them a bit, it will provide clarity for the listener or somebody who wants to get to that next stage. Could you just define what you mean? Next level of performance. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that you said, defining success for yourself. And, and you know, as they say, don't, don't, pocket watch other people with their money 
don't, you know, try to compare, even though it's human nature to compare, but it's important to, to know when you are and check yourself. But as far as getting to that next level, it was something where I knew I was at a starting point. I know that comes with a journey. And I think at a young age, I realized that. And also a testament to my family, my mother, my grandparents to just keep going. You know, it's going to be okay. You got to learn. And also my coaches teaching me that. So getting to that next level, it was okay. Where are my weak points? Where's my, those in front of me? And even further, what do they have? And what do I need? What are the base things I need to flourish? And I think for me, I stayed solid in those things. And I said, okay, I need to be able to dribble with both hands. I can't. I'm going to dribble every day, work on it. You know, I traveled. I, I couldn't, I would travel every time with the ball starting out. I would just work on one, two, not traveling, going, going, put in the work on my weaknesses. And when my time, my time came in the game, I stayed true to my role and what I can do and how I could learn what my strengths were and use those. And I think at a young age, I stay locked in on, I got to get better. I got to get better. Like there's people better than me. And I think also that's a blessing in disguise for a lot of young talent who aren't the best now and they don't have the followers and they probably don't have that. I think that's also a blessing because so many talented players fall before they even get to the real main areas because they didn't work hard. They didn't have that hunger to keep them going unless you are like, ridiculously talented and it's like okay even if you take a dip you're still at a higher trajectory um so for me it's it's really staying focused on the little things every day to chip away at getting better and and focusing and loving the game what do do i want to put in my game like oh i like how this person has that pull up i want to i want to put that in my game because i can jump too like that that's where it's like getting to another level is my mindset my skill set, and then um, just how I handle myself in general around the game and being prepared when my time is, is when I'm called in a sense. And I think for me, that that was what it was like. It was just straight focus on I have to get better and I'm not where I'm, I'm at. And it's not anyone else's fault. It's mine. And I think that was something that was I think a good thing for me of of how I started my journey. I'm going to put you on the spot. Reflecting now, what would you say one of those weaknesses early on is now a massive strength with regards to your game over the years? Mm-hmm. Well, definitely my left hand with the first step. Uh, that was something I was always working on because I would travel so much. I had to learn how to get my first step off without traveling, but then also I couldn't dribble with my left. So I would now my first step left dribble pull up is really strong because it's unorthodox guarding a right hand player with who was strong with the left and then can pull up with the right hand. So really, that's one thing from I think that handicap I had early on that's become something that's a strength of mine. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was raw. I was star. I had so many weaknesses. <laughs> um in my game, but I think, yeah, that the left hand and the the first step was something that came from just constantly trying to like be able to take off without traveling and etc. Look, I hope people are taking notes on the factor of developing your weaknesses. And I can say that on this podcast with my communication skills, 
being dyslexic. Like you just got to do the reps with the practice. Drew, there's one aspect I do want to talk about, and I would like you to paint the picture as well. I was blown away that you said you played in four different continents, nine different countries. Just paint the picture of the traveling that basketball has provided you and just to paint the picture for the listeners and myself too, please. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, starting off New Orleans, then we we can skip high school, but we can go basketball took me to Indiana University uh, Midwest. So now we're, we're all the way in the Midwest, different in Bloomington. It's more of a, a the Midwest corn fields and everything around me by, but a great college town. Um, then, of course, being drafted my first year um, overseas, once I, you know, was cut from the W, I went to Israel. So now I'm in Tel Aviv and beautiful beaches, great food, um, you know, the Middle Middle East, in a sense, different culture, Hebrew. Then from there, I went to Romania, Togorstein, another completely different place um, in the middle of nowhere, vampire land, as they say, uh, near Togorstein. Um, went to Switzerland. Now we're around some lakes, beautiful mountains, country speaking three different languages, uh, different types of food. Italy, very similar to the Italian part of Switzerland. So it wasn't a huge change. But now, you know, we're we're back around people that made me feel more like my New Orleans culture. You know, very loud, you know, touchy feely with one another, very passionate, um, great food. Everything you have in Italy is wonderful. Hopped over to Spain. From Spain, went to Greece. So those Mediterranean countries, they are different, but they have similar vibrations about them. Um, Summertime, I've been to New Zealand, all the way in Asia. Um, And again, surfing, uh, seeing some of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen in my life. Seeing a very healthy environment and land. And, and just seeing how the grass is, et cetera, is something that's very different and unique that, you know, just seeing healthy land is 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 something beautiful to, to, to experience. Um, played in Puerto Rico, South America for summer league. Um, and of course, I count the UK because I went to high school there. So I do count that. I, I did play the under 18. I've played in a beer league when we first got to the UK because I didn't know where the basketball teams were. So somebody saw me in the beer league saying, why is this young girl playing against these these beer league guys? And she's doing well. Played in the under 18 league, then played with a women's team professionally, didn't get paid. I knew I was going back home and wanted to play NCAA. And so I do count that country in my in my repertoire of, of places I've played. So um, I've gone all over the world. To, to truthfully play um, the only place I haven't touched yet is the African continent, which, you know, I hope to at least do some grassroots stuff, maybe do a small tournament, but um, yeah, that's, that's been the journey for me of, of different seasons, one-off contracts, and you just kind of go different places of, of course I've played, Six years in Italy, that's the longest country I've played in consecutively. And um, everywhere else has just been kind of one-off contracts. And then I've also played in France. Sorry, I'm sure I'm missing a country, but France as well, played in France. Uh, What a wonderful reply. Okay, I've got to decode this a little bit. Firstly, 
how has your game developed playing in these different countries around the world? Like, I'm just curious on that side of things, first off, as a player standpoint. Yeah. The first thing is that definitely go, playing in the UK during my freshman, it was my freshman year of high school, playing there absolutely helped me because it automatically helped me transition to more of a European style of play at a younger age in high school. So I learned some elements and some things that maybe I wouldn't have learned if I only stayed in the States my whole amateur career. Um, and so playing abroad, of course, has helped my game again for the European style is more very skill. They play more for sure, systematic basketball. So just learning how to execute a pick and roll, you know, how to really, you know, move without the ball in some cases, not to say that I'm the best at that either. It's still something that, you know, it's hard to break those those tendencies. But um, playing abroad has helped me uh, truthfully to understand the European style, style of game. I think more so playing in different countries, you more so are learning other skills, not the basketball part. It's the communication, how to really read body language without saying a word. You pick up on social cues because you're in, you know, you have a language barrier with your teammates. Uh, with your coaches, maybe your president, and maybe your fans. And so you really pick up on social cues. You pick up on ways to, to of course, communicate if you don't fully know the language. Um, and so those types of things, I think, were what I've learned playing different countries and, and how to work with other cultures and learning their background and paying attention to the history of their culture and why they maybe believe certain things and what they might believe about me coming into their culture without them really knowing that it's something that was taught and maybe like not everyone is built the same. Um, so that element is a lot of energy when you're playing in these different countries compared to just basketball. That's some, that's the easy part in some cases the harder part, the part you have to really be professional in and pay attention to is knowing the people you're around, what misconceptions they might have, and how do you break those misconceptions to be able to have a successful working uh, relationship. May I ask, what was one country where, let me word this right, like from a communication standpoint playing, it was hardest with regards to the communication side um just because it like you said you you know for me it sounds like it developed your soft skills massively but I'm just curious when you're playing game it's just not clicking because I'm not fitting in that culture yet or the team environment yet was there one country that reflecting it made you a better person who you are now from that experience if that makes sense yeah I mean I can give a recent one I, I've, I played one recently in France um and the French culture was something that, you know, I've heard people talk about it, but it was for sure something that was totally different for me. My personality is more Italian. It's maybe more Greeks. And so the French aren't, they, they don't operate in that type of way. They're, they're not, um, they're, they're more a little colder. Um, they expect, you know, this is our language. This is our culture. If you love it, then maybe we love you. <laughs> if you don't know it, then it's kind of a problem for you. We're not going to adjust for you. And uh, for me, how I've grew up, grown up as well, that just was tough for me to try to break through that that ice. Um, and it it took me back to to 
being comfortable with self, you know, again, and I think um, being abroad and being in certain countries, I'll say Romania was another one um, where the the locals, it was a little different. Um, You had to understand and go back to that self-confidence and trying to push yourself and being okay, even though you're in a team environment, (laughs) you know? And so for me, um, that, that was one of the tough ones. And I, I think I learned a lot from that experience because it, I've been blessed and kind of like used to like the Italians and, and Mediterranean, uh, countries. And then going there, it was like, Oh, you know, the world is, is bigger than you think, you know, we're, we're always a surprise when we meet another type of culture another group of people and they engage a certain way and you have to accept that and understand this is how they are and how do I how can I work with that over time to adjust and so I think adjusting has been something that's always consistent no matter if it was a great environment or bad for me um, it's understanding that it's just not for me and, and being clear on that just for the listeners listening in, if you don't mind sharing, because without a doubt, after all the people I've interviewed on the show, culture is a theme when working in the sports industry. It doesn't matter what sport. And I, I think for me, from my experience, is being mindful. I, I put it in that bracket of when you work in different cultures as being mindful and trying to find a way to create win-wins. From your experience, how has it made you a better professional with regards to, you know, not just being an athlete, I mean, a professional in what you're doing with Revolve, which we'll talk about. But just for the listeners listening in, that culture is a major factor if you want to work in the sports industry uh, worldwide. You know, mindfulness is key. Um, having patience is key when, when working internationally, you know, as they call it, international business. Um, I think having respect, first and foremost, that you might not like a culture, but it's someone's culture. It's their story. And understand that despite if you don't like it and at least show respect again back to that respect thing this is their culture you're in their territory you show respect despite what you may think and you know some some europeans make funny of the american way of you know americans bust up in countries like it's supposed to be their way or no way no Uh, one thing you have to understand is that this is their culture this is their history this is their traditions do your best, of course, to learn what you can, because you can't learn everything. That's unrealistic. So, of course, if you get pushed back, it's like, okay, they're being unrealistic. But take steps to understand this is why a group is where why they are the way they are. Respect it to the best of your ability. Um, and I think when you show that you're willing to learn and willing to understand an individual, despite a whole culture, you you open up the gate for them to now be willing to understand you if you listen. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned um, is to, to be willing to, to listen and say, okay, well, why are, why is this the way it is? And what did you think? You know, would have discussions, I think, around those things. And then it, it helps break barriers. And I think for humanity as a whole, if we all just did that a little bit more, um, it could help us all uh, do uh, better things and, and help our whole universe um, in so many better ways. But for me, I think the biggest thing is respect. 
open-mindedness, being a little curious and ha- and understanding the culture that you're immersed in and, and show that to them and that you respect who they are and you're just wanting some respect for who you are and where you are in your journey as well. 100%. And there's one last component I want to talk about because probably some of the listeners are going, wow, you know, nine different countries. How did that actually, looking back, got you out of your comfort zone as a person? This is Drury the person, not the athlete, just the person. Because for me, I find it fascinating. But for a lot, it could be like, when I say daunting, it's just like not possible because you've got to get so out of your comfort zone to experience what is possible. So I'm just curious on that side of things. Yeah, it's, man, when I look back at it, you you kind of, you know, again, athletes, you just go, 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 go. You're like, boom, knocking it out. You're enjoying each country. When you look at, back at it, you know, it's just a really unstable type of situation uh, as a professional athlete. And um, I think what it teaches you is adaptability. Um, and I think that's one of the key things of I've been able to do everywhere I go is adapt. I think the downside is that you do have a little bit of that anxiety about you because you never know sometimes what's going to change. And so you're always ready. You're always on your toes. Um, You're never too comfortable because you can't really be too comfortable because you don't know what's it could change on you and you might be somewhere else the next time you have to be ready to get up, go adjust quickly. So making decisions quickly, um, having to react quickly and make the best decision in a short amount of time um, while also being in a totally different environment and not in your home country, et cetera, is, is something that really helps you to learn how to adapt and work in a flexible manner that many people have not touch the surface of being doing I mean some people get crazy you know I talk to former players and they say people that they work with now they they get flustered because of schedule change <laughs> and they're like what it's a schedule change like that's nothing but simple things of change and adaptability certain people don't have that soft skill and uh it can really mess up a whole day for them whereas for me Oh, this is missing or, oh, that didn't go. Okay. What's the next solution? Let's all right. This is how we get here. Um, so I think that's really what being in all these different countries and stuff have, has really taught me of being adaptable. You mentioned earlier in the conversation about focusing on the little things with a performance starting point. How did you focus on the little things with adapting? Because there's no magic solution with this question, but you said making quick decisions in a short period of time is crucial but what were the processes of the little things that made you adapt efficiently to your best of ability despite being anxious like because this is a really important point for athletes with their management which we'll touch on really shortly of their career I'd just like to hear your thoughts on that that perspective the little things when adapting that makes sense yeah I think the little things you know are one having giving yourself grace which is hard with the limited information that we do have currently you have to take what you have understand like hey this is what i have and let's let's make the best decision i think also learning to trust your intuition which is another thing it's not everything is not just fact based and data there is some we all have a spirit we all have souls 
and uh, trusting that if, of course, you really believe in that, that can also, along this type of journey, help you to trust it more and document when you don't trust it and what happens and document when you do trust it and what happens um, to, to, to kind of show that that intuition is a powerful tool and learning to, to listen to it and learning when it's trying to talk to you. So for me, I think that's one thing. And then for as the, the little things of when you come into a new area, it's the simple thing of like creating your own personal safe space. So one within, which is a lot deep, deep, but in any capacity, I think for me, like if I take one step, I consistently do is like when I get to a new location, new place, different country, I create a safe space for myself where I know I can go. This is the space that I maybe put some flowers or something and I decompress and I take time to just kind of think. And so I think it's it's taking steps of creating your own safe space within the environment that is given to you, um, finding at least one, one person or individual in that space that you can get out and go communicate with, talk to, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, adjusting your routine um, to the new place, but keeping the core root pieces of a routine no matter where you go in the world. Um, and for me, that's been the key thing to not get anxious, et cetera, um, which allows me to embrace this journey because I know, you know, there's a lot that I'm learning and paying its attention. And um, but curiosity also helped me. I think not being if you're not curious, then this lifestyle will definitely make you anxious. But due to the curiosity uh, in my nature, uh, it also helped me to be comfortable because I knew I was going to now get to feed that curiosity being in a new place. Let's touch on that, um, like with regards to curiosity. Yeah, get get some water or some tea. Um, just dig deep a little bit, if you don't mind, of the curiosity of how that supported you as well from a cultural standpoint. Yeah, for me, curiosity is 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 very important to growth. Like if you're not curious about certain things or or how it ties to you, then you won't grow because you won't really take initiative to go find any answers. Um, for me, travel and being in different countries due to basketball, but also being an African-American that was removed from our own stories of, of really what really happened. Was I, you know, was my family an indigenous group already on them in the Americas before it was founded? Um, were my family from an African continent, you know, um, and how the European countries and everything tied into that. And for me, coming to Europe, history, let's talk, if we talk history and seeing the buildings and seeing, you know, going to Nice and France and seeing how it looks like New Orleans a little bit, and then going to Spain and, and they're having Fias, which is like a Mardi Gras. Curiosity makes you want to ask those questions like, okay, so I know this is like this and it, it gets you excited. And that's just one thing, history. If we take food, there's another thing. Hey, you guys eat this. Well, I eat this back home too. And, and you call, you know, and talking to my African teammates and like gumbo is the okra, but we call gumbo in New Orleans, the, the actual soup is not, we, you know, so again, curiosity, where, whether it be culture, food, 
history. I don't know, maybe just, you know, language, language, laws, mm-hmm. uh, the root of laws. What, how, how did they even get to that point? When you're curious, you literally it, it will never stop. You'll never stop learning. Uh, it's impossible. I mean, seriously, astrology and who who really, you know, the Greek gods. And now there's, you know, there's they never stop. So for me, curiosity made this journey so much more fun and beautiful. Um, and that's what also I think keeps you going, keeps you learning, and keeps you intrigued. Where now you're not just in the country and like I'm here to play basketball, but I'm away from my family. And da, 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 da. now you're like, oh, I wonder where you know what part of history did this city stand on? You know, like yeah, so like an explorer, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Dor Dor Jory the Explorer, like the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. So yes, curiosity is key to learning. I mean, you have to be curious and you have to be willing to to ask questions and say, well, why? And also being around people that are willing to go down that rabbit hole with you is even more fun. And if you can find those people that love to have those conversations, I think it's a beautiful thing to have in your life. Spot on. And that's why we're doing this podcast. I've really enjoyed it thus far. But let's get to those podcast topics. I know this is a real passion of yours now with regards to how, like yourself, like athlete management, you know, they can focus it as a, like, how can athletes manage their career development and lifestyle effectively and I know we've weaved this in already in our conversation but from a practical standpoint like how should athletes approach this from an effective standpoint like it's a big question but I think it's really important because there's many components you've talked about the fun side but we haven't really touched on let's say the business side of being an athlete which I know you're passionate about you know providing that support system I mean everybody needs a success team and so I think how athletes need to approach things is that you are a business, you're a small business and you, your business goes around the world and engages with different companies and corporations. And if, if you aren't paying attention to the things that are happening on the business side and you're only paying attention to the, the talent side, then in a sense, you're like a, you're just like a product. The product doesn't know where they're going. What's the price point on them? They stamp, they stamp it, they package it. They someone else is choosing which store it goes to, what price is going to be sold for. Maybe we'll put it on sale. A product doesn't have any say in that. And it to me, it's like if an athlete just goes and entertains and plays without knowing and setting boundaries, etc., for who works for them. Who's doing my packaging? You know, what, who's, who is selling me? Cause you, you are being presented. You are, you know, it is a transaction being made. Then you put yourself in a product situation and that's fine. If you're comfortable with that, I think for players, you need a success team to surround you based on your level, of course, marketing, um, understanding performance, understanding nutrition, having your your financial team, finding all of these pieces, whether it be high level like a LeBron and his pieces or low level like a normal athlete, you still find those pieces and there's ways to find the piece for your trajectory. 
So for me, I think athletes have to start looking at themselves as small businesses and finding a way to get all their pieces of a success team around them in place to have a more seamless uh, experience within this industry. Can we also touch that this is part of a lifestyle? It's not just, as you say, we're a product in a box. You know, it's life because the difference between a product, let's say, like my iPhone, and compared to yourself as an athlete, you have feelings, you have thoughts, you you know, you are exactly. got these other human components. This iPhone has nothing. It's just a transaction of I consume it, I buy it, I use it to my, you know, services of my needs. And I want to just touch on the lifestyle standpoint, because I think, bear in mind, I've interviewed a lot of athletes, my podcast and this, you know, career transition of purpose or identity after sport is because they haven't aligned their lifestyle to the new identity going forward. But it's exactly the same of managing your career. And I'm not an athlete. I've just done a lot of interviews. They love being an athlete because they've aligned with it for so many years. Like you have at the age of three of, you know, getting out the swim pool and basketball was your calling of sport. I just want to touch on from your experience, not just the traveling aspect. I mean, treating your career, you know, as like having that support system, but from a lifestyle standpoint. Yeah, the lifestyle is, is it's it's very unique and i think the lifestyle on court practice etc is also very unique but the key is that we usually don't entertain or set goals to explore the other part of the lifestyle we are afforded as athletes especially expathletes those of us that go around the world and sign different contracts in different countries and due to this, and not to the only fault of the player, because I've gotten backlash about my travel and how I embrace my lifestyle and how I embrace, you know, enjoying the lifestyle in the different places I'm in. And so it is also something that the, the culture of sport and those that are in the governing bodies have not accepted as well, that a player can leave the gym and do be doing something else and be interested in other things and, you know, have on their mind other projects that they love. So because it was never, it wasn't praised. And so the lifestyle for players has usually been, I'm going to work, work, go home. I don't do anything. I'm resting my body, which is still a part of the sport part. You know, yes, you rest, but like, you don't need that much rest in the world um, and then go back and play. Now I think it's imperative for a player to be able to do their sport, rest their body. And maybe some of those rest hours actually are active rest with something completely different than basketball. Um, and that's the element of lifestyle that yes, we do miss and why it's so hard to transition because you haven't set with who am I if I don't play basketball? Like, who am I if people don't come up to me anymore and start in, you know, because I'm tall or because you have strong arms or because they saw you on a team? Now, why? what's a reason a person might want to come and talk to you? And when they talk to you, how? what type of conversation can you hold if you don't talk about basketball? Mm-hmm. Can I give an example of my pod? Because I think you'll find it interesting. I had Baroness Tenny Gray Thompson, who's... UK is one of top Paralympic athletes of all time. And she said to me, 
you know, the reason why she got into politics, she just found politics as a really interesting um, subject. But also when she was in the room with her family, it wasn't her athlete career that was always being talked about. She had other interests. So it was more going back to your, even starting with your family, having other interests, it gives other different conversations than the identity of being an athlete. And I found going back, you just sparked it. I think these are the things that I want to hopefully this podcast can help people is you don't have to be an expert, but certainly having other interests can, you know, broaden your horizons after your sport, whatever that may be. Would you agree with that? Or wouldn't you agree with that? I'm just curious, like, of what I've said, because I'm not the athlete. I'm just the reporter in that sort of sense. No, no, I think (laughs) it's I think it's balance. Everything in life is balance. Like it is not it's not easy. It's not easy. The the you know when you start to have a passion for something else, mixed with sport, it is not easy to keep that same. When you are obsessed with a thing, of course you're gonna reach that goal because you're so obsessed and focused on that one thing, and that's the part where it's like, how do we find that sweet that sweet spot or trajectory? of how we can get certain things in there while you're still on that, that uh, real mission to reach your goal. Um, I don't think it's something that's a, that's easy because I know with me and having other passions and starting to want to research other things and do other things, it 100% starts to hinder your performance in what you do as an athlete. Um, but I do agree that if the people around you don't just feed that athlete, athlete, athlete. And every time they talk to you and come to you as athlete, athlete, but they come to you as just a human and understand you and say, Hey, you, did you see what happened? Like, or let's talk about this and have other types of conversations coming your way. I think it's healthy for the player. And that does help you to understand more of who you are and it helps you because there are people around you that are accepting you for something way totally different than basketball so it helps the player to also start to know build their confidence in like I am something without this thing without the game so community and again the industry people around the athlete if they service them I think it's a group a whole everyone in the industry needs to shift that and have a responsibility to understand that praising the athlete and just telling them what they want to hear and stuff you are feeding something that will ultimately lead to their demise um so yes so so when did the penny drop relating to your career on this point i know this is putting you on the spot but i think when other athletes learn from other athletes when they had that aha moment of what you've just said could you remember it? I know it's a big question, but I think it's quite an important one. My dad, you know, always preached dual athlete to me, even when I was was younger and in, in high school for sure. And, you know, it was education and sport wasn't so much lifestyle and interest, but it was still you are a dual athlete. You know, you have the athlete part in education and school, etc. Um, but I think the moment it really hit for me was years was truthfully the moment that I started Evolve. Um, the, you know, years, it was year seven abroad and I was, I had fully embraced 
overseas and, you know, taking solo trips, you know, driving places myself, etc. And I got to the point where I was just like, I think I'm I'm gonna retire. Um and really realizing, okay, what am I gonna do? And that's where, you know, it was like, okay, I've done all these jobs. I always worked in the summer off season and also at IU during college in the summers, I would work. Um, but it was always like, okay, I haven't really identified. I don't want to coach. I don't want to just go coach. I don't want, I don't want that. Um, and I think that year was the time where I was like, I'm not doing enough to invest in the other part of me. And I'm not doing myself a service to really figure out what do I want to do? Um, despite having fun on the lifestyle side, I still was missing that part of investing into me and who I want and that self-discovery and what get what's going to get me up every morning when I'm no longer playing. And so I think that's when it hit me and I started to research former players that came before me and looking at what they were doing. And I was like, okay, I don't want to do make that small mistake either. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, it was that year seven abroad that I was like, okay, that's let's shift some things. And let's go into that. Like what I know you've mentioned the moment, but what really provided you that self-belief, but most importantly, inspiration to start Revolve. Like explain to listeners what it's about, the purpose of it. I love what you're doing when I had an amazing phone call with Julie, who's involved in this project or business or app, giving a few hints to listener, but just paint the picture to the listener of what Revolve is all about. Um, that'd be amazing. So Weevolve is in a sense, it is a application and community that um, decentralizes data for athletes um, in order for them to make better career decisions throughout the, the life cycle of their careers. And so um, it really is giving them resources, access to validated providers, um, and then also utilizing our community source data as well as public data to help the athlete make the key decisions they need around contracts, around hiring, so HR of their small business, um, around opportunities to immerse themselves in other things, not just sport, and creating this ethos where they now can not be so fragmented, which causes, which drains you with, if you do want to try and explore, it's very hard. If you do want to break the mold, it's very hard. Now, creating this ethos and ecosystem where the player can really focus on their success team and building that next to their community with access to information, which we know knowledge is power. And so bringing all those things to one space for the athlete to manage their career seamlessly. And we use that with human and machine intelligence that can help it streamline for many, because as we know, most don't make the same money as a LeBron James or a Messi. So it's not only just saying, oh, you need a team, you need an affordable team. And with the power of tech now, we can create something that can afford every athlete along this journey to have the information they need to make the best decision they can to be successful during and after their careers. Touch on one feature because it's fascinating and I think it's so important and you highlight a lot in what the app's about is the contract like tool. I think this is so important of like 
what that you know, it's not just built with AI. Tell me if I'm wrong on that side. But what I like about it is like it gives the athlete understanding how their contracts what they actually are so they can make a, a better decision. So could you just talk about that feature? Yeah. So the the contract feature in a sense um, is the ability where a player can, if the, they receive a contract from an agent endorsement deal, or if they receive a contract for a team that's looking to hire them, they can upload the contract and they can at least get a red, yellow, green, which will warn them or give them caution and then get some basic points about why your contract is rated, you know, bad, yellow or green, or if it's good to go. And from there, they can upgrade to ask more questions to, to know, okay, what's going on within this contract. And of course we would use the tool to give that community source data around salaries, um, different re reviews and information we're getting from about agents, teams, et cetera um in the country and continue to help the player to really understand and start to compare the deals that they have in front of them but then from there they have the opportunity to be matched based on their jurisdiction based on language etc be matched with le actual legal individuals if they need to take it to that next step uh, which can bring down the cost for them as a as an athlete tremendously um, but still allowing them to really see the red flags before signing anything. And so we we do that with a mix of manual work, of course, and then also um, building an AI-powered tool that basically can allow it to be automated quickly where the player um, is not forced, which many are in different other markets, forced to sign something, you know, like, oh, sign it in a couple hours, you know, are you going to lose the deal? Um, so now they're, that this helps in those types of situations and it helps the player to now have legal in their team um, at a fraction of a cost at, of the cost. Basically, it's limiting that scarcity before they sign a contract where they need to process their decision, which I think is really important. Putting you on the spot again, what feature of the Weevolve app you like, man, I wish I had that during my career when starting out. Like, I'm just curious, like what component you love with Revolve, which you sort of wish you had if you're, you know, starting again? Big question, but I think important. Yeah. I mean, definitely the the contract piece of understanding my worth. I think the, that's a big one for me. That was one of the key things. I just was not, I was so truthfully angry with when I got to that year seven because I still didn't know my worth. Um, and I still didn't know where you know, how the whole setup of things were. I didn't know where there were job openings or how to really advocate for myself. You literally, and to this day, it's still the same. Like you have an agent's control so much of the market. They're in control. And I just really didn't like that. Um, and I still don't really like it. But for me, the contract element and um, the elements coming to be able to really start to, to, to see and connect with teams directly and, and promote myself, sell myself. Um, these are things that I really wish I had um, to better know what, what my worth should be. What should I be negotiating and holding, you know, my agent accountable more, or maybe he doesn't know. Because again, a lot of agents, 
work alone as well. So how can you cover a whole market and know what's going on if you don't have access to that information either? Um, so yeah, for me, the contracts and again, what's coming is the ability to really work and market myself in a marketplace um, independently. You just touched on the community aspect. I think this is important for other fellow athletes who are listening in, like the benefits of that, you know, with regards to the, the app side of things. Cause I think again, another important point. Yeah. I mean, one of my, my favorite, uh, founders is Rich Barton. So he's the creative Expedia, Zillow, Glassdoor. He's also on the board of Netflix. Everything he does is he, they call him Mr. Power to the people. And everything he does is to unlock information, make it transparent to allow the, the direct to consumer element to make decisions for themselves. So Zillow in the real estate business, we all know, you know, you have similar agents. Um, and what he did was unlock that information and allow now people to shop around, see a value of a home, see all the information of the home, if they want to sell their home. And now they can do the whole process through Zillow completely revolutionized it. Um, so for me, the, the element of being able to make things transparent and knowing that it's been done in every market and really wanting to push for this for athletes because it's causing so much pain to players, the second guessing and not knowing, um, it causes a lot of stress and anxiety, truthfully, because, and then it causes self-worth issues as well because you're holding back because you know you don't know you're at the the hands of everyone else so so with with those types of companies they don't really have a community like twitter is a community you know uh zillow and these glass door elements is not that there's like a kumbaya community which is a little different we evolve i feel it's not kumbaya but we will have a tighter niche group but all of these platforms rely on the users and the community of people to give so they can continue to learn. And that has worked. It's proven to work um, to unlock information. And that's the part where our athlete community has all the answers. We have the tools. We have our past contracts. Retired pro athletes have information on how they've gotten through a contract negotiation or how they've gotten through living in Japan. Now, the key is that we've never had a platform that allowed us to really congregate in this way without barriers. Now, there's a space where community and athletes want their own independent platforms to start to speak their mind and have a safe space, regardless of an organization. Um, and I think that is the core piece of community. And another core piece is where can our retired athletes come? Because most of the organizations no longer talk to retired athletes. You know, that's that's a past thing. So now you throwing away the most valuable piece of our community. And that's what we've all feels is also going to be a key to our um, our rise if we can get them to come back. And so I think community is key because that sourced information, we hold it. And it's something that has never been unlocked, in my opinion. And also it means the athlete can make independent decisions for themselves, you know, not on their own, but in a way that they have that safe space, which I think is such an important point you've just said. Wow, what a really powerful conversation just then. I'm going to pivot a little bit 
I want to talk about you rocking the mic now with your podcast show. Like, share to listeners your podcast show and what inspired you to get on the mic as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Unguarded podcast powered by Weevolve. Um, you know, it's a podcast where we just like to tell truths, be as authentic as possible and truly just have conversations, you know, kind of like current athlete to current athlete or current athlete to former. And we just try to pick little topics or segments, uh, whether it be recently retired athletes or athletes that have been retired and what they're doing. Or right now we're talking to athlete entrepreneurs. And um, for me, it was just like, okay, what better way to, to, to build the community and start to highlight stories of the community, um, but try my best to do it in a unique way. To, to really try to get us to be authentic and not continue to tell the same stories. <laughs> um, but really, let's talk about something completely different that, you know, we're, we're not talking about when we're on other podcasts. Um, and so that was really it. It was a way to be able to connect with my community um, and then share that with the rest of the athletes that maybe don't have the, the you know, personality to call someone to say, hey, can I talk to you? you know, um, or they don't have the the time to say, can I, you know, I have these questions. And so that was the start of it was to, to really try to build community. I didn't go into it to, to become like a big podcast or anything. It was really like, this is the most effective way to talk to the, my community and share these conversations with them directly. Boom. I'm going to say this, this is exactly what I did it eight years ago as well. Like, to find a medium that served an audience to help for my sense my vision was always provide a sports crew resource where we can learn from the best people in the sports industry understand the sports industry itself and then understand the different career paths so reason why i'm like had to reply like that is more we got a with content creation it's solving a problem and serving it to an audience that needs it so love that answer on a personal note there, how has podcasting supported you with your personal brand or being even a content creator in this modern age? Yeah, I think it's helped me for sure to, to try and learn how to ask questions. As an athlete, you are the one getting interviewed usually. And so you know how to, to just truthfully give generic answers as well. So it's it's taught me to to not give generic answers because when I ask a question to someone, I kind of don't like when they give me generic answers for my podcast. <laughs> So I'm like, you know, like, ah, I don't like that. Let's figure out how to give some answers with a little bit of substance. Um, so I think it's helped me to to work on like, okay, how do I ask quite good questions, uh, which is still very difficult. Um, it's a skill, I think. Um, and I think, you know, it's just taught me, you know, again, how to reach out and how to do my research on an individual and try to really look at how can I pinpoint a part in their life to really little dig deep in when uh, interviewing them. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. And you get people that are willing to be transparent. But um, I think that's that's kind of been something that has taught me to now instead of being the one that's interviewed and getting everyone talking to me, it's now humbling myself more to say now like this is about you and I think this is key for a lot of athletes that are building things for athletes is to learn that it's not you anymore 
It's no longer about you and your number and like, oh, I'm building this. It should be completely removed from that. You are now a leader of a community that they are the stars and you are the one that's doing the work. And that's one thing I think I identified during this podcast as well, but just in general is that I am taking on duty to be one of the leaders in this space that's advocating for athletes. And my duty no longer is to be a star. My duty is to highlight them, advocate for them. Um, And I think that's what this podcast has kind of taught me to slowly like listen to their story, you know, like ask them the questions. Um, And uh, then, you know, I can get on another person podcast and then talk again. But you're spot on, though. Can I just say that? Like, my motivation has not been about Ebaz. It's been about the listener. And for you, your new role identity is your other fellow athletes who are listening to your show. So I'm digging deep because I'm giving a bit behind the scenes how I operate as a podcaster. But what you said is 100% spot on um, with regards to not just the importance of questioning, the importance of listening, but, again, how is this information going to serve the end user for the greater good so wow i love podcast conversations as well it just just mixes up a conversation with regards to sports careers um with regards to your sports career development though looking back jory what have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back right now yeah when i look back over my career journey uh, what i've enjoyed the most um is always going to be at, at, at really the people <laughs> i mean I've I've enjoyed the people, I've enjoyed the fellowship, um, the food and, and building relationships with people that maybe I would have never built relationships with if I didn't go along this journey. Um and and building them in a way that they're 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 like family um in different countries of of building that trust and and everything. So I think for me, I I really enjoyed and I'm blessed that I was able to take this journey and meet people and they embraced me. I embraced them and we're from completely different parts of the world with different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, And yeah, you debunk with humanity and certain things that we see on TV tells you it is possible. Um, And I think the people that do get to travel, that's why you have that your mind and your eyes are a little bit open because you see that what was told is so false. It's just not enough of us get the opportunity to embrace and take time with other people in order to break down those barriers and stereotypes, et cetera. And I think that's so good for me. I'm so happy that I was able to be pushed into these environments because that I know this now. Um, where I know when I talk to someone who's never had that, they they can't understand that, no, what's being said isn't all the way true. It's not everybody in the world. So for me, that is the biggest thing I think I'm happy I was able to experience due to the game of basketball. What a wonderful reply. And you just triggered it as well. Again, it's the beautiful aspect to working sport when you get yourself around the world by doing it. And I think that's the key thing. You've got to do it to experience it. I learned that in women's football. My network is so international and it's just fascinating to learn from their different experiences. 
and what an awesome podcast but jury as always i like to finish with an inspirational question and we've had such an amazing conversation relating to i'm still going back to that swimming experience and then basketball was the cooling i love that how this conversation started but for the listeners i always like to finish with an inspirational question and i think this is it like what three tips would you give to listeners to be better in themselves with regards to what they do, with regards to their personal development, because you really hit home to me of like the importance of bettering yourself as a player and as a person and even what you're building with Evolve. So what three tips do you give to listener right now so they can take action on it straight away? I think three tips I would take, I would say is one, spend time alone to work on your intuition and, and tapping into that. Um, they call it the inner voice, intuition, whatever, but um, spend time to work on that, get help working on it. You can through meditation and, and everything, but I think that's a key thing that can help guide you through this this world and life um, when things get hectic because um, that's a sounding board for yourself. And when you can really start to tap into that, I think it's it can help you to to find peace and calmness in all types of chaos um, and instability. So that's one. Um, two, I think it's it's key to, like I said, create safe spaces for yourself. Um, know where when when you identify that right now I'm anxious or right now I'm I'm not balanced. What gets you back to that balance and what safe spaces you have and a safe space can mean an actual physical location. A safe space can mean an individual, you know, a friend, um, a safe space can just mean, I know I'm going to go sit in this one area and eat a particular food. It's really what helps you. What's a song finding those things that can help you and guide you back to balance. Um, and that is all tied to meditation again, but I think it's really key to, to learn yourself. Um, and then three, you know, accountability, account, self-accountability, I think is one that's important because when you can hold yourself accountable and you trust that you know how to hold yourself accountable, I think the opinions of the world and what they say become less because you know yourself you know that you are holding yourself accountable to, to your values and standards and you're working with a curious, open heart to always understand and be the best human in society you can. And so self-accountability, it gives you confidence to no longer rely on anyone else to really tell you who you are. Um, but of course, have an open mind to listen to feedback, digest that in your safe space, and then address yourself and say, okay, X, Y, Z. So I think those three things are the the things I think are important for self and really just continuing to grow. Love it. I actually love all three and how they merge together is amazing. I think that's the key component is when you apply all three of them, certainly with the accountability, that's where the magic happens when you put it into action. Wow. What a cool and awesome conversation out of interest, Drury. How can the listeners interact with you and evolve? Like where are the best places to go? Yeah, well, definitely for the professional community and my former athletes, et cetera, uh, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Um, then for, of course, for Wevolve, we're on all social platforms, TikTok. Um, you can find us at Wevolve on the Instagram, Wevolve Society and Twitter also at Wevolve Society. Um, you can look at our website, 
www.wevolve.net um, just to check out more about what we're doing currently in private beta. Um, and then, of course, for any athletes, um, farmer as well, that want any type of, of legal access um, and are looking to get some feedback on something that's in front of them, legal at wevolve.net. You can hit us up anytime um, and connect with, with our team of, of partners in our legal team as well. Um, and if, if not, you can always hit me up. I'm an open book at Jory Davis 32 on IG and, of course, on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm responsive. So, uh, would love to hear from, from any of the listeners. Amazing to all the listeners listening in all those links will be on my website with us. This awesome podcast chat jury has been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. What an incredible podcast chat with jury. Honestly, there is so much that went into that podcast experience that honestly, my humble opinion is you've got to grab a cup of tea and re-listen to it another time because for me we talk so much on different topics that is just relatable to you yes if you're listening to this but also for athletes as well with regards to having other interests beyond the sport you've dedicated many years towards but for me I wanted to go back to one thing that just triggered the whole conversation about the importance of the respect of sport It's just one theme I really enjoyed throughout this whole conversation about the importance of respect and that when you pursue a career in the sports industry, you've got to respect culture. You've got to respect other people's backgrounds. You've got to really respect where sport needs to grow and how the certain sport has developed thus far. And for me, it's so important what Jory was sharing with regards to athletes having their own identity, but most importantly, choices of their growth with regards to their life career, not just sports career. Um, That's why with with Evolve, I really love what they're doing. I'm all about making sure on this podcast, I address different services and tools that can support an athlete after their career. It's been a real passion of mine, right from episode three with John Amici, who sort of shared like after his basketball career, that he had other interests and for him it was being a psychologist and now it's serving leaders around the world and for me I just want to relate to this point if you're an athlete listening but if you're a person who wants to pursue a career in the sports industry this conversation is so applicable to you as well don't just think okay uh, I'm not uh, a basketball player like Jory no the bit about culture we talked about was such a fascinating conversation about being mindful it goes back to respect again what Jory is saying like having respect of that culture when you're in that environment even if there's components you disagree with like anything you've got to respect the heritage of where their beliefs are in that environment and the more you understand this I promise you, and even from my experience, the better sports industry professional you will be, not just being an athlete, but any aspect of the sports industry you work in. So for me, it was such an epic podcast conversation, one that I will even re-listen to myself to be a better uh, sports industry professional as well. So without a doubt, take the time with regards to your notes, look at one component of what you've learned today from Jury and apply it to your sports career development today, but also re-listen to this podcast as well. I guarantee there'll be another learning lesson that will support your sports career development now and with regards to your growth. So have a listen again, put it into action and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Jury said, self-accountability is important. 
when you can hold yourself accountable and trust yourself to hold that accountability, it helps you develop to be the best version of yourself in society.